Let's hear God's word this morning from the Gospel of John, chapter 3. It's the beginning of a story of how a very religious and very curious man named Nicodemus got a surprising answer from Jesus about how God wants to work in human hearts. John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, Believe me when I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I am telling you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and born of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Amen. I made a big mistake when I got married. You see, I married into a family of fanatical sailors. I grew up in southern Indiana, and there's just not a lot of ocean out there. Oh, sure, I'd sailed a little sunfish on a man-made lake at Boy Scout camp. But Donna's family introduced me to something much bigger, the adventure of open water sailing. I should have seen it coming. I mean, her parents lived on the eastern shore of Maryland. Their property sat on an inlet to the Chesapeake Bay, and there was a big sailboat parked at the end of their pier. In fact, the week before we got married, that's where I slept. I slept in the cabin of their sailboat. And they got me all pumped up telling me these stories of their great sailing exploits. The, the time during a fierce storm when they almost lost her brother overboard. Or, or the day when Donna was, was trying to pull in a sail and a big gust of wind came and lifted her up into the air. And she had to hold onto the sail. She was flapping in the breeze or she'd get tossed into the ocean. I mean, with stories like that, I mean, who wouldn't be psyched up for a big sail? There was only one problem. Every time I went sailing with them, there was never any wind. Uh, Her dad had this beautiful, perfectly equipped sailboat. We'd motor out into the open water, put up the sail, and then just sit there, kind of baking in the sun. No wind, no thrill, just a bad sunburn. So to make up for it, my father-in-law recruited me to be part of his crew to sail his boat in a race called the Oxford Regatta, where you sail from Annapolis, Maryland, across the Chesapeake Bay to Oxford, Maryland. And I thought, okay, this is, my, this is it. This is my chance. This is my real sail. We got the boat. We got the crew. We got the cooler of beverages. I am ready to go. And there were hundreds of other sailboats in the regatta. And as the wind came from behind, the boats all put up their big, colorful spinnakers that kind of billowed like big circus balloons as the starting gun sounded and the race was on. Off we went, wind in my hair, waves splashing over the deck. It was awesome for about 10 minutes. And then the wind died, and I mean absolutely died. Not the slightest puff, not enough wind to blow out the candle on a birthday cake. The sails went limp, and we just drifted along with all the other boats for about six hours until finally we all gave up and motored home. What a tragedy. All those beautiful sailboats, they're meant for wind, created for wind. A sailboat's purpose is fulfilled by wind. They find their essential beauty when the sails are up and the bow is slicing through the waves. 
A boat could have the, the finest teak decks, the most colorful sails, the most intricate rigging, the, the latest in advanced technology, the very best crew, but they're all useless without wind. Sailboats are built for a mighty wind, and so are you. And so is the church of Jesus Christ. In Acts 2, we read about the young church, uh, the young followers of Jesus kind of huddled together in that room uh, 50 days after Christ's resurrection, huddled together on the day we call Pentecost. And God chose that day to pour out his spirit to empower the church, to, to send his spirit in a new and dynamic way to launch the church out into the world. Let me read Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly the sound of the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit <coughs> and began to speak to each other in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I mean, try to picture this scene, I mean, in your mind. It's crazy, it's bizarre, it's, it's spooky, like something out of an M. Night Shyamalan movie. The sound of a violent wind. Have you ever heard the sound of a violent wind? You know, a, a hurricane or a tornado. When I was in college, two tornadoes running parallel to each other simultaneously hit our campus, destroyed several buildings, took the third floor off my sister's sorority house. I was huddled in the basement of my fraternity house with my brothers, and one tornado went to the left of our house, the other tornado went to the right of it, and we were smack dab in the middle. The wind was so loud, it literally sounded like we were being run over by a freight train. I can't help but think that that's what it sounded like when the Holy Spirit came on the scene at Pentecost. Shook that room to the rafters. And Jesus uses the same imagery of the Holy Spirit and wind in the gospel passage we just read about Nicodemus. Jesus is trying to explain to him the mystery of God's grace, God's salvation. And he says in verse 6, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Jesus actually is making a very clever play on words here because the Greek word for wind and the Greek word for spirit are the same word, pneuma. Like we use the word pneumatics for the study of air or gases. Pneuma. Basically, Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you know you can't control which way the wind blows. And in the same way, you cannot control the movement of the Holy Spirit. You and your Pharisee friends have tried to put God in a box. You know, you've, you've tried to control what God can or can't do. You've tried to tame the Holy Spirit with all your rules and regulations. You think you've got God all figured out when in reality you've got it all wrong. In fact, you need to start from scratch. You need to start all over again so much so it's just like a child being born all over again. You need a new spiritual birth because you cannot control the power of God's Holy Spirit. Jesus wants us, expects us, even demands of us that we get swept up by the wind of the holy pneuma, the holy wind, the Holy Spirit. There is such power in wind. You know, wind can snap a huge tree in two like a toothpick, uh, can pick up a car and toss it hundreds of feet through the air. The sustained power of wind can erode and flatten even the tallest mountain. And so, if this dynamic power is present in ordinary physical wind, can you imagine the power present in the Spirit of the living God? This passage is about far more than just asking Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. 
Yes, that's an important part of it. And Christians tend to focus in on what is probably the most famous verse in the Bible in this chapter, John 3.16. But we've become so focused on verse 16 that we've forgotten about the rest of the chapter. Forgotten about God's holy wind. And so let me ask you, is there any wind in your sail? Is there any power from God's Spirit filling you up, pushing you forward, propelling you? You see, without a strong wind, having a sailboat is, is a sad and boring business. How much sadder it is to see Christians that are just drifting along in their life and faith because they have no wind of the Spirit filling their hearts. Nothing sadder than a church that's drifting along, no spiritual wind in its sail. Folks, this is constantly our challenge as individual followers of Christ and as his body, the church. Is the Holy Spirit filling us up, propelling us forward? Now, I'm really preaching to myself this morning, the condition of my own heart, my own openness and availability to the Holy Spirit for him to use me however he wants. But, but I also want us to think about ourselves as a church this morning. This is my annual State of the Church message as we hold our congregational meeting tonight. So if you're new today, let me just apologize up front because the focus is really on ourselves today. I think we're in a season of spiritual life where we need to take a hard look at ourselves and ask some questions about our openness to the Spirit, our eagerness to be available to the Spirit, and our obedience to the Spirit as He leads. I've just completed 19 years here as your senior pastor. And that has caused me to reflect back on what's happened in that time. It's been a series of seasons. Starting back in 1999, the first few years was a season of excitement. Everything was new. We took some bold steps, a capital campaign that raised over $3.6 million. We repaired the sanctuary that was in danger of collapse. We built the ministry center wing that has served us so well, did so many things. Built the memorial garden in the cemetery. We changed our worship format, added guitars and drums because we realized one size does not fit all. It was a season of great excitement. And all that led to a season of growth. Over the next like 10 years, we went from two worship services on a Sunday to four. We added new community church with a vision to expand into other neighborhoods and towns. We, we grew our missions outreach both locally and globally. We added new staff. It was a great season of growth. And then we moved into a two to three year season of conflict. Conflict with our former denomination. Everything got organized around making our exit from that dysfunctional group. And that was a tough time. It took all the oxygen out of the room, at least for me it did. But the result was great unity within our congregation, a 98% positive vote when the time came for us to make the move official. Of the 400 plus churches that have left the old denomination like we did, I haven't heard of a single one that had as high a vote as we did. It brought us together. And during that time, we had an amazingly stable staff, 10 years with no departures. But now we're in a season, a new season, and it's a season of transition. Over the last year and a half, your elders and pastors and lay leaders have been asking, who are we and where are we going? Last year, as part of our season of transition, the elders and staff and lay leaders, we went through a process of uh, of uh, strategic planning. We identified our six core values and our five key initiatives. And that's all great stuff. It's important stuff. Helps us lay out a map of where we think God is leading us as a church family. 
But during the season, we've also had some really good staff people get called away to other ministries. And we're still seeing staff transitions, and that's natural. But it's hard because it's not just a job. We, we form deep relationships, and nobody wants to see those changes, even though change is inevitable. And now, after a couple of years of this transition, I have to admit that somewhere along the way, I f- it feels like maybe we've lost a little of the wind in our sails. I mean, we've got a great sailboat here at New Providence and New Community Church. We are very good at shining up the brass railings and outfitting the boat with new sails. And we've got a great crew, great people, great facilities, great core programs from children through students to adults, and great music and missions, great caring. And yet for me, and it might just be me, it feels like we're sailing through seaweed instead of moving along on a mighty ocean breeze. And I feel this in a couple of ways. Are you familiar with the expression, the canary in the coal mine? It's a reference to how coal miners used to bring caged canaries down into the mines with them because a dangerous gas such as carbon monoxide could collect in the mine and then the gases would actually kill the canary first and give a warning to the coal miners to get out of there. Well, we have only a couple of metrics that we can use to measure our church life. And two of them have seen a downtick this year. Now, I don't know if that's the canary in the coal mine or not, but I do think they're indicators of how some of the wind has maybe gone out of our sail. The two metrics are Sunday worship attendance and weekly giving. Sunday worship attendance has dropped or gone flat, both at New Providence and at New Community. And that's not because people are leaving the church. I mean, we do have about a 5 or 10% turnover in people every year because so many folks either get moved by their jobs or they retire out of state. And people just can't afford to stay in New Jersey. So often it's our long-term members who go elsewhere. But what's really behind the downturn is children's sports and activities. Families that used to attend church two or three Sundays a month now attend only once or twice because Sundays are no longer sacred, and kids' sports now dictate everything for the family. Or it's another charity 10K run every weekend. And it's not just us. This is a serious national trend affecting all churches. So I'm not saying this to be judgmental. It's just a fact. Sunday's no longer sacred. And in the aggregate of that is fewer people in worship. And I'm sorry to say that one of the long-term impacts will be that when these kids are in high school and college, more of them will drop out of their faith Because the unintentional hidden message they're learning over the years is that faith is not really the high priority. It's just not that important. And an hour of Sunday school per month will never be able to offset the flood of information coming into their brains from the world. Just won't. I don't have a solution for this situation. But I do feel I need to point it out as a possible canary. And the second is our giving is lagging. This is also maybe due to long-term members retiring out of state. The older members tend to be more consistent, more committed to the mission of the church in their giving. And so when they leave, generally our new members don't give in the same capacity. I mean, they have the capacity to give, but they're just not giving at the same level of commitment. It's not the same priority as with our older members. And so as we hit the coming summer slump, our finance team is projecting a deficit in our giving for the very first time in many years. Not a huge one. In fact, if everyone increased their giving by about $8 a week, we'd be fine. So it's not a crisis, but we need to be aware of it and ask if our giving, our stewardship, is a possible canary. And I don't know for sure. 
What I do know is that according to Jesus, we can't control the work and the movement of the Spirit. We can only put ourselves in a position to be ready when God decides to move. And the main question to ask ourselves in making sure we're ready for the Spirit to move is this. Am I hungry for God? Am I hungry for God? You see, when you've got a good sailboat like we do, it's easy to get complacent. It's easy to become spiritually lazy. Our world pulls us in a thousand directions. We lose focus, get distracted. We lose our passion for Christ. We lose our sense of commitment to spreading his kingdom. Not intentionally, not purposefully. We just drift. We all want the good things of God, sure. We want his guidance and peace and protection, blessing. But do we want him? Do we really want Jesus? Are we hungry for him or only the benefits he brings and the, the vast difference between the two? Do we really have a hunger for Christ? I think that's what Jesus is trying to say to Nicodemus. He needed to be hungry for God, needed some sizzle in his heart, some passion in his gut for God, not just keeping up his religious facade. He needed to be hungry for the things of the Spirit. Imagine with me two people at a picnic table. Neither person has eaten anything for three days, and, and God is like a plate of Louisiana hot sauce-covered, smothered, barbecued ribs, and the hot sauce is the Holy Spirit. One person is dressed in a white, sil white silk suit, and he politely takes a napkin, spreads it across his lap, picks up his knife and fork, delicately cuts off a little piece of meat, chews it 27 times, and when he tastes the zing of the hot sauce, he says, Mmm, that's spicy quickly takes a drink of water to try and cool his tongue. Across the table sits someone who's kind of like the Apostle Paul. I mean, he's dressed in a plastic garbage bag. In the blink of an eye, he dives into that plate of ribs with both hands. He's up to his elbows in barbecue sauce. It's all over his face. It's in his hair. It's everywhere. In no time, those ribs are picked clean like, like they'd been tossed into a South American river filled with piranha. And while licking the plate clean with his tongue, he has the nerve to ask for seconds. Do you have a hunger for God? A deep, intense longing for God to be in your life. That's what makes us open and available to the work of the Holy Spirit. And without this, it's a loss for which nothing else can compensate. Are you hungry for God? So I want to challenge us in two ways. First, to maybe dedicate or rededicate your life to Christ. We're going to be having a special baptism service on the afternoon of June 24th. We're going to be using the swimming pool of Bill and Elke Spore for baptisms or for people who want to rededicate their lives to Christ. If you've never been baptized, but you've come to the point where you've put your life in Jesus' hands, where you, like Nicodemus, have responded to Jesus' call to be born again, then I want to really encourage you to be obedient to Christ's command and be baptized. Water baptism means so many things. The washing away of our sin, the, the union with Christ in his death and resurrection and going under the water and rising again. The coming of the Holy Spirit into your life. Baptism is the first sacrament for anybody who believes in Jesus as Lord and Savior. So if you've never been baptized, if you've been waiting, well now's your chance. This is it. Come talk to me or sign up on the cornernj.com and I'll get in touch with you. And Don't let this opportunity pass you by to take your stand publicly as a follower of Jesus. And if you would like a way to publicly recommit your life to Christ, maybe you were already baptized earlier in your life as a child or a young adult. We don't rebaptize people. We believe Scripture teaches baptism is a once and done thing. 
but we can help you renew your commitment to Christ by renewing your baptism vows, even if those vows were made for you by your parents years ago. It's sort of like when married couples, after like 20 years or so, want to redo their wedding vows. They don't get married again. They're just affirming the original vows they made years before. And in the same way, we can use the waters of immersion to reaffirm your original baptism vows as a way of opening your heart to the work of the Holy Spirit. And you can sign up for that on the cornernj.com as well. And the rest of us, we are all invited to come that day and cheer them on. It'll be a fun afternoon together celebrating God's grace and goodness, catered food, lots of fellowship. I really hope this would be a milestone event in the life of our church. And the second challenge is to pray. Summer is a great time for spiritual renewal. and I challenge you to create some space so that the Holy Spirit can work in your life. You know, we're so busy. The world is so noisy that oftentimes the only way Christ can speak to us is through a crisis. That's where he gets our attention is through a crisis. So don't wait for that. Create space and time for Christ now. Seek him in quiet moments this summer. Find time to pray when you're alone with God and can have your spiritual batteries recharged. You, you know, you regularly plug in your phone to recharge every night, right? Well, you have to do the same thing with your faith. Be committed to prayer this summer. Pray for yourself and for your family, but also pray for your church and for your community and pray big and bold for your church because nothing happens except by prayer. We need it, and we need God to pour out his spirit on us. Is there any wind in your sail? Do you know that your life is filled with the power of God's spirit? Do you have a hunger for Christ? Have you pushed out into the great ocean of God's love, or are you still kind of tied up at the end of the dock? Are you tired of drifting or just polishing the brass? Do you know that it's time for a change? Then cultivate an openness to God's spirit so that you can experience the Lord's presence. A presence that comes sometimes like a gentle breeze when your life seas are calm, but a presence that will fill your sails when the waves are high. His presence is available for every circumstance. The presence of Christ in you through his holy wind, his holy pneuma, his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to open myself now to you to say there have been times when I've closed myself off from the work of your spirit and I've not been willing to be open and, and, and aware and obedient to your call upon my life, Lord. And I pray that I could repent of that and that for all of us we would begin to cultivate this sense of openness, awareness, and obedience to your Holy Spirit. Come fill us, Lord. Come fill our church again. Let us sail on for you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.